The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmilzer. And on this podcast, we're going to continue with our failure series. So if you're new to the Cognolytica podcast, the AI Today podcast, thank you so much for joining us here. This is a fantastic podcast. We've been going strong now for, this is in our fifth year, uh, 230, 40 episodes. Who even knows where we are? (laughs) Many, many episodes, you know, uh, going all the way back to, you know, what is AI all about? And the tons of great interviews with thought leaders on, on who are making AI work. And really the theme of our podcast has always been on making AI real. I mean, this is really what it's all about. I mean, we love the promise of AI. We all are familiar with, with all the potential for what AI can do. You may be familiar with what you see in the movies and books, but also even what people have been talking about for the last decade or two about, hey, multiple decades, actually going all the way back to the 1950s, about what AI can do. And there are certainly lots and lots of podcasts that talk about what AI can do, and then you can hear from researchers, and you can hear from technology companies, and all that's great. But our podcast really focuses on the here and now. That's the today part of AI Today. And we want you to be successful. And one of the things that we have been hearing from many of our customers and listeners, but also you know, what, what's out there in the, in, the, in the press and in the media is how many failures that people are really, you know, how, how much of a failure rate people are actually seeing with AI projects. And it's fairly substantial. And you know, we wanted to really spend some time looking at it. And you might point, you might say, oh, well, the reason why AI is failing is because AI doesn't work or because the products are bad. Well, if that was the case, we'd have one podcast and we'd explain those two reasons and we'd be done with it. (laughs) But it turns out that there are actually many reasons why AI projects are failing and a lot of which have nothing to do or very little to do with the fact that AI itself is problematic or you know, we just got some bad products from bad researchers or something. So, um, well, Kathleen will tell you, you know, we, this is, this is, I think now episode, I don't know, seven or eight, nine. (laughs) I can't even lost count here, but like we have like these 10 major reasons. Yeah. I think we're on nine now because I got one one more to go and you know, well, well, we we could summarize what some of these have been. And if you haven't listened to them, well, you should go back and listen to them, right? Yes, you absolutely should. So, you know, like Ron said in AI today, we talk about how AI is being applied and used in practice today. Looking at this, we've seen a lot of, you know, and we've done different, different, um, podcast series in the past. We've done a a big AI use case podcast series. We've done an AI education series, but we said you can learn just as much from successes as you can from failures. Maybe you can even learn more from failures. And we didn't see a lot of podcasts or articles or, you know, resources out there that were talking about the failures and how to overcome them. Yes, there's, there's articles that, you know, point to these uh, failure statistics, but it doesn't say, okay, yes, this is this this is failing, but and it, and for these reasons, here's why it failed. Here's how to overcome this. Here's to make sure that you don't fall into this statistic as well. So we thought it was important to do that. We have an entire AI podcast failure series, as we said. There's about ten or so major reasons that we've seen, and we're spending we're dedicating one podcast to each reason. So some of these reasons have been, you know. Do not run your AI projects like you run traditional 
software development projects. If you do, you'll realize pretty quickly that you won't be successful. Also, there's ROI. Make sure that the ROI of the project is justified. A lot of people kind of just jump right into things, don't think about what that return on investment actually is going to be. And then when they get done with the project, they're like, well, that really didn't save us the money that we thought it would. Well, okay, look into that beforehand. There's some data quality issues. We talk about data as the heart of AI. You need to make sure you have good, good, clean data. Also, data quantity issues. We regularly get asked, how much data do you need? We dig into that in that podcast. Also talk about, uh, you know, not every not every problem needs the same amount of data. So you need to be looking at that. Also, another failure series talked about, uh, you know, the time between pilots to full production can just be way too long. And if it takes, you know, 12, 24, 36 months between your pilot to your production, what happened? Why? You know, what we all we say, what happened to iteration? You guys have to, you know, three years in between your pilot and production is way too long. That's crazy. Um, And then also we uh, had a podcast on vendor hype and what to do with that. You know, uh, sometimes you can trust the vendors a little too much or, you know, stick with a particular vendor because you're that kind of shop, you know, and you just, you use these particular vendors and you want to stick with it, but maybe they're not actually solving the right um, that, you know, they're not the right solution to your problem and you've moved forward with it and only to realize, okay, that project failed. If you had just picked a different vendor, maybe you would have had a more successful outcome. So we dig into all of these in additional podcasts. We'll link to them in the show notes. We encourage you to check them out in no particular order. So listen to them in whatever order you'd like. It's not, you know, reasons one through 10. We just lay out 10 different reasons. So Those, you know, please do listen to them. All of them provide value on different things. But in today's AI failure podcast series, we really want to talk about how AI project life cycles are continuous. And once you've built your model, it's not a build it and be done, turn your back, never look back and move forward, go on to your next project. They really are continuous. And you please don't forget about retraining your models, continuously monitoring them because by now, hopefully you've realized data can change. Data never stays the same. And because data doesn't stay the same, you do need to retrain. You will have model drift. You will have data drift. And you need to make sure that you're accounting for this as you move forward uh, with the usage of that model. Yeah. So let's just assume that uh, our great listeners, you are our great fans and and people who have are taking our advice to heart let's just assume let's say you have been listening to our podcast in the order that we've been doing it so you're like okay i'm not going to make these mistakes so first i'm going to basically run my project like a data project not like an ai project and run my iterations focused on data iterations and do all the things that the methodology says about the business understanding and the data understanding and then i do data prep and only after that do i do my model development and then once i do my model development i do model evaluation and iteration and then i do model operationalization so you're following the right methodology and we give you guys gold stars for that and, and many claps and then you're like well wait a second i can my project can still fail so you listen to our next podcast and we talked about well 
will make sure that the problem that you're solving is a problem worth solving and that AI is actually a good solution fit for that problem. That's the whole AI go, no go, which you should have done anyways in that methodology. So let's just assuming you're like, yep, I'm solving a real problem. I'm not boiling the ocean. I'm not trying to build a robot that's going to scan my inventory shelves and then basically realize maybe multiple years later that that actually doesn't really solve much of a problem. You know, I'm going to basically, you know, I'm going to do things, iterations. I'll do a small thing. I won't do a big thing. I might think big. I'll start small, iterate often. And you're doing that. So Again, yes. gold stars were clapping. I was going to say, great, you're following all the best practices. <laughs> then, then the next thing you heard that like, oh my goodness, AI projects can still fail because of data quality issues. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pay a lot of attention to data engineering and I'm going to put a data pipeline in place. And I'm going to basically get my data pipeline in place from the very first get-go and it's going to be a training pipeline and it'll be an iteration, uh, uh, sorry, uh, 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 a pipeline for, for an inference pipeline. I lost the word for a second. A training pipeline is then an inference pipeline. And, and okay, great. So you solve that problem. And then you're like, oh, wait a second. I'm going to solve my data quantity issues. Maybe I don't have enough uh, training data. So I'm going to get that training data. Or I'm going to make sure that the, I have the right data and that I'm not using the wrong data, that it's got the right you know characteristics to make this work. So again, we're clapping for you. And you've kind of moved along. And now you're like, okay, I'm going to do a real pilot. I won't do a proof of concept. I'm not going to just do this thing in my lab. I'm going to do this thing in the real world. And I'm going to use real world problems. So there you go. More claps for you, pilot. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to choose the best product given this particular problem and iteration. I'm not going to basically just go with the default solution. I'm not going to believe what the vendors say. I'll do a real evaluation. And so I'm optimal. So therefore, I should succeed at this point, right? And this is kind of where a lot of companies get stuck because they feel like they've, they've gone, done all this. They've done all this work, all this preparation. You know, they spent all this time with the data. They did all this methodology stuff. Their team is in place. The product's in place. What can go wrong? And the answer is, what can go wrong is that you stop iterating your model. And the idea is that the models are actually living, breathing things. Well, maybe not too literally. Let's not get into the world. <laughs> Let's not get too Westworld here. I mean, basically, these are uh, par- these are continuously changing environments, ecosystems. And so the problem we have is that people don't realize they need to still allocate money. Mm, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about allocating money and people and resources to the continued iteration and development of a model once it actually is in production. We're not talking about during the iteration phase of getting the model into production. We are talking actually about the model is in production. The model is being used and it's being used successfully and it's even proving its ROI. You have a model out there that is saving, let's say 10 hours a week for people to doing automatic uh, you know, text classification. You have another model out there that's doing image uh, identification for an insurance application and it is working. And a lot of companies make the mistake at this point of saying, accomplished, mission accomplished. We're taking this team, this great team that we built because data scientists are hard to come by, these data engineers, and we're going to now take that team and we're going to apply them to a new problem. And all of a sudden, that model that you built starts failing. And the reason why it starts failing is because over time, models drift. Data drifts. The kinds of problems that these models might see change over time. I built an image recognition system to help my insurance claims application automatically do things like determine whether it's a it's a, it's a claim worthy thing or total. There's a whole lot of things, or maybe it's for home and property casualty insurance. But I think auto is a good example. Well, guess what? In the year 2023, when cyber trucks by Tesla are available. That image recognition system is going to look at that thing and say, what the heck is that? 
<laughs> someone was into an accident. The first accident from a cyber truck will probably get in the news. And someone's going to be like, well, I insured that truck. And they're going to be like, well, you can't use our app to take a picture of that because our app don't understand that truck. <laughs> but there's lots of many, many, many examples like that. That's a very specific one. But you can understand that even models that perform very, very well over time will start seeing new kinds of data or will start seeing new usage situations. Or maybe you had a model that you built as a sales forecasting application for North America starts being used as a sales forecasting application for Europe. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, the Europe buying patterns are different and your sales forecasting thing doesn't work. And they're like, hey, I thought you built a sales forecasting app. It doesn't work. We're like, it works perfectly fine over here. And they're like, it doesn't work over here. And you're like, well, we need the model to be retrained. You're like, well, that team is... <laughs> Either the team gone. Did, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's actually two versions of that. And I'll let Kathleen get into the moderation thing here, but like either it's because you have your team and you've reallocated your team or they've kind of moved on. Even if they're responsible, you had 10 people on the team, but now you only have two people left to model. Or the other version of this is that you, that this isn't your team, that you basically hired a contractor, you hired a consulting firm, you hired a services firm and they built the model for you. And they said, project done. Here's my check. And they've moved on. And you have not thought about the fact like, wait a second, I spent mm, $600,000 or a million to two. I don't even know, whatever. You spent money. You didn't think that you're going to have to keep spending that money. I don't know. How to somehow manage to <laughs> fools themselves and saying, well, it's going to cost me $2 million to build this model. Like, oh, well, you realize that you're going to have to you gotta build it. And how much does right. it cost to maintain it? Yeah. <laughs> like, don't forget that. Exactly. Um, and this is why, you know, you really need to think through these projects before you get started. That's why we're advocates for best practices, methodologies, following a method for, you know, proven AI success. And this is something that you should definitely think about and consider. So, um, you know, if the real world environment doesn't change much, then you have, then you don't need to, um, you know, iterate on your models as frequently, but your real world environment will change. So you will need to iterate on this model. It's just a matter of how often, not if. Um, some models are, you know, uh, retrained daily. And depending on the organization, depending on how much data you have, what exactly it is that it's doing, you can be doing this on a daily basis. Uh, and it's needed because, you know, you're, you're getting a lot of data. It can change so that's something that you need to think about. Understand how much data you have. Understand the problem that this is being used for. You know, is this something that needs to be uh, iterated on very frequently? Or is it something that, well, you know, it's something that we use, I don't know, once a month or something. So the data uh, isn't changing all that often. That's something that you need to determine with your team to figure that out. Um, but there is going to be a continuous model evaluation with that retraining. And once the model actually is being used in the real world, that operationalization, you definitely need to make sure that the model is performing the way that you want it to with a variety of different checks. You know, depending on the project, we say lay this out at the beginning. Do you need 80% accuracy? That's your threshold. Anything, anything 80% or above is good. If it's below 80%, you know, it's no longer providing the value that you need. Do you need 95% accuracy? Anything that's below 95% means that it's, you know, not performing where you need it to be. Those are things that you need to address and, and you need to constantly be monitoring that model. So that's, that's another thing that we've seen where, you know, uh, teams just 
say, okay, this is the initial upfront cost. This is how many people I'm going to need. This is how much, you know, I, okay, I know I have the data quality, data quantity issues. We've resolved that. We know that this is bringing a positive ROI and we've we've identified what that ROI is. So we're, we're going to move forward. We're budgeting this many people, this many dollars, and this many, you know, hours to the project. So we know maybe it'll take three weeks. We have 10 people and we have a, a budget of a million dollars to move forward. That's great. And you've you've built that model. You've you've operationalized operationalized it. You know, put it out there. It's it's working. It's doing its thing. But how many people do you need to maintain that model? And how many people are? How much money do you need for that? How often are you going to be uh, retraining that model? Looking at all this stuff. These are questions that you need to make sure you're answering because at the end of the day, you know, and then are you going to are you going to expand? So Ron gave the example of I've used this in North America, but now I want to expand and we're looking at Europe and then next we're going to Asia and then we're going to Africa. Buying patterns in all of these different regions can be quite different. And if you use a model that was trained on just North American data, it will it will obviously be biased and not work towards you know buying patterns it won't be as accurate as if you used data with those regions those specific regions that you're trying to uh you know get information on so okay how much is it going to how much is it going to be for me to you know bring it to europe how much is it going to be for me to bring it to africa and asia what what does my team look like? Do I have the same team in place? Am I going to bring a different team on board? Make sure that you're thinking about all of these questions, because if not, then you can have your project fail and it doesn't necessarily need to fail, especially if your first one was a success. Mm-hmm. So one, one thing we really would encourage you to, to think about, especially even at the very, very, very first stage, go all the way back to the very first uh, thing that we talked about, which is basically treat your AI projects not as application development projects, but as data projects. And you might think to yourself, okay, one of the things you may want to ask, these smart organizations will be saying, when I'm done building this, and I have this amount of money and these resources team, how much am I willing to continue to invest in this over time? And that's actually a conversation that's crazy. It may seem to be like, I didn't even build the first model. Why are we talking about the future here? I'm like, well, well, we said, let's just all get on the same page here. You know, if we're building an automatic text classifier for our system that's going to take in survey data and automatically create classification notes. And I'm telling you that it's going to cost $100,000 to do that. And they're like, great. And I can say, okay, well, well, how much are you willing to continue to invest in that? And they might say, well, uh, I don't know, $0. And they'd be like, well, then I guess it's only going to work for about a year. And basically at the end of that year, you should count on it not working anymore. Right. And that's, that's an interesting conversation to have. And they maybe they might say, well, okay, well, maybe this is only a project that lasts a year. There are some projects that won't last forever. Maybe you have something you're doing that is a short-term thing. Maybe, maybe, you know, there's some, maybe you're solving the, the, the PPP loan thing, the the small business administration in the United States did these, these paycheck protection loan things that only has a a defined amount of time. You're not going to be doing PPP loans theoretically, for three, four, five years. So maybe like, okay, yeah, I'm only, this is a short-term problem. I'm only willing to invest in it. And I'm aware, fully aware that the models that we build for this will not work in three or four years. Everybody's on the same page, right? But if you have this expectation that the model is supposed to continue to work, then you got to ask the question about continued investment. And then actually, strangely enough, this is like the weird part, it may actually guide your algorithm selection. 
what? How can model iteration guide your algorithm selection? This is how. Imagine I said, okay, well, if we're going to build a deep learning neural net, convolutional neural net, and I got to use GPUs to do that, I need uh, a ton of data. And it costs me because let me tell you, GPUs, they ain't cheap, right? And so let me tell you, say, oh, it's going to cost me $50,000 to basically train this model. The question is, how many times am I willing to spend that $50,000? If I say I have to retrain this model monthly, maybe I'm not spending $50,000 a month, but maybe I'm spending five or 10, right? And so you sort of like think about this cost over time and be like the thing that I thought just on the training part. And if I said to you, well, you know, we don't have to use deep learning. If I told you that a boosted uh, tree or a support vector machine would basically give us maybe instead of 97% accuracy, I will get 93%. But if I told you that it costs me almost nothing to train a boosted tree, right? The co- because I'm not using GPU. I'm like, you could use GPUs, but you don't have to because it's a simpler model. I could say my cost for training is not only going to be one-tenth the cost, but my retraining cost will be like infinitely less. Then you might be like, well, maybe we, maybe we shouldn't use a neural net. And it was kind of crazy that a decision like the ongoing cost of model maintenance may have something to do with algorithm selection, but it actually does. And these things are all related. And therefore, it helps to ask these questions as early as you can before you become so heavily invested in a particular algorithm, so heavily invested in a, in a data training pipeline, so heavily invested in a particular vendor. You signed a three-year contract. You hired a contractor. So there you go. So uh, that is sort of like one part of this issue of thinking about uh, this model life over time. But there's a whole other thing. There's actually a whole category of product, or I shouldn't even say that. There's a whole category of solution out there that is helping to deal with the fact that machine learning models are entities of their own, and we need to treat them that way over time. And there's this category called MLOps. So we could spend a little bit of time talking about machine learning operations. Some people call it model ops. Uh, and then sort of kind of where all that's that's arisen. And we'll talk about kind of where things are heading with that. Right. So this has been, you know, the rise of MLOps. Um, We have covered this since about maybe 2020, specifically Mm -hmm. with reports and, you know, vendor coverage in this space. And really it's, you know, this machine learning operations, MLOps, Ron said there's a few other names for it. This continues to evolve this space. It's an incredibly hot, hot space in the market. And it's really to talk about, you know, how do you manage this? So we have our models, they're out in, you know, the real world, we're retraining things, but how do we go about actually managing them and, and monitoring them? And so there's a whole a whole bunch of different areas that you need to make sure that you are covering. Um, and these MLOps solutions help you with that. So with model governance, you know, uh, with model versioning, just because you have a a model doesn't mean that if you need to retrain it, that model, you know, the previous model can go away. You can have multiple versions of your model. For example, when we gave that, you know, North American um, uh, example for, you know, sales projections, and then you want to go forward, well, maybe that's version one, and that works great for the US, but you want to move to Europe. And so that doesn't mean just throw away that that first uh, version, you can keep it and use it for North American data, maybe create an updated version for your European data. Well, you need to make sure that you understand what 
is in each version of that model so that you're using the correct model. So it helps with model versioning, also model discovery. Maybe you have models out there that were already created. You don't need to be recreating model transparency, model security, model monitoring. But maybe beforehand, you know, we'll also talk just a little bit about why MLOps came about, why it's a thing now, and um, and then how how best to use it. Yeah, so so let's, let's sort of give a little bit of an overview of MLOps for those that aren't familiar with it. We could start with this idea of something called DevOps. And you may have heard about this. You may be very familiar with it. We may be saying something to you as an audience that you totally get. And we're telling you something that's obvious, but I will talk about it anyways. A, a little over a decade ago, maybe a decade and a half ago, um, people realized that the right way or the best way to can work with software and technology that continues to change, right? So it, a long time ago, a very long time ago, we had literally had like a single system, like it was a big computer sitting in a room. <laughs> Dealing with versioning was not, and change was not that big of a deal because like literally you had one place to go and you could make the change and everybody knew each other and you can all say, hey, uh, you know, Frank, uh, what are you doing with that piece of code? Like, oh, I am not done with it. I could check it. Oh, okay. hey, Sally, uh, you know, have you finished the database? Like, I'm still working. So that you can do is coordinating your release I know that's a very, very specific example here, but but basically sort of that evolved for decades, this idea of waterfall, which is a, an approach where you basically design the system that you want to build. You think about all the different use cases and the iterations, then you basically build to that design. Uh, and then you basically test the build after you've built it, and then you deploy it. Very much like how skyscrapers are built or aircraft, whatever it is, you know, you know, uh, uh, shopping mall complexes, right? Because if you know, it, it, those are the kinds of things where you can't basically change your mind halfway through. You can't be like, I'm building an airplane. Uh, you know what? Maybe the cockpit needs to be in the back. No, you can't make that kind of change. But what happened was that uh, software uh, started to kind of not fall in that traditional engineering cycle because we were starting to do rapid change, especially as we moved to the internet, we moved to building mobile apps, we building websites that can literally change like every few minutes. We started to have like user developed, user generated content. Then we needed to basically, we went, went from iterations that were years to iterations that were months, to iterations that were weeks, to iterations that were days, to sometimes iterations of changes that are like in hours, right? And that basically threw the whole waterfall methodology out the window. We talked about that in one of our earlier podcasts, and we ended up with agile methodology. The thing about this agile methodology, which is definitely a best practice now, which is working towards these short iterations, work towards your current requirements. Don't worry about this big plan. The big plan doesn't matter anyways. Uh, you know, iterate, iterate, iterate. Is it also introduced something called continuous integration, CI, and continuous deployment, CD. And this idea of CI, CD is that, you know, we need to have systems where I can check in code and I can test that code and I can push that code and I can version that code. And if things are not working, I could pull it back and I can restore and I can basically maybe not even have everybody see the same functionality. If I'm like Facebook, they do this thing called feature flags, where maybe only some people see a feature in some cases and I can actually test for that. Well, that is has less to do with technology and more to do with process. We actually needed to invent sort of a new way of doing this sort of continuous integration. And so this idea of DevOps, developer operations, came with this whole cycle of supporting the iterative needs for iterative code development. So everything from distributed source control, uh, iterative tests so that somebody who may have worked something, deployed something, they just broke something. That happens a lot, right? Uh, it needs to kind of come back so that the whole thing doesn't get taken, that your whole site or app doesn't get taken down, your mobile thing, right? Which still happens, unfortunately. But, um, you know, it needs to support that whole life cycle and then the continuous iteration and all that sort of stuff. 
And that has, and we can certainly use those tools that we have developed and those techniques for DevOps for machine learning models. We can, you know, treat the machine learning models as code and we can use the same iteration approach and we can do deployment and versioning, all that sort of stuff, right? And think about the IT. But it turns out that we can't really consider uh, the machine learning models as develop as code because we said most of it's data, right? So, you know, the version, like the actual model, like the, that might not change, but the underlying data might change. So we had to, so over the last few years, probably honestly, not for more than maybe two or three years, I think in 2018 or 2017, is probably the first time people really started talking about model ops and ML ops. And in the last year or two, it really started to gain traction. This idea that we need another set of approaches for dealing with things like model drift, you know, the model's changing over time. How can I measure that? How do we even, first of all, how do I even know that the model is drifting, right? Well, I can't use a DevOps tool for that. I can't use my DevOps techniques for that. I have to basically say, well, what do you mean? What does it even mean for a model to drift? Right. Is it the accuracy rates going down? The precision? Is it the maybe? Maybe I really care about the false positives because it's like it's okay for it to not be accurate, but man, every time that thing is false positive, it really hurts or false negative, whatever it is. We talk about this actually in our training about how some models might be more sensitive uh, for for one uh, aspect or the other. So these these systems can help us measure those changes over time, measure how the data is changing over time, and also maybe measure how any particular piece of data is ending up in the model. So if there's a problem, I can go back and I can track and say, oh, your data set is changing. Somebody has just imported a whole lot of customer data and just thrown a bunch of trash in there. Right. And the model. I know. And I laugh because hopefully you listeners are laughing too, that, you know, that people do that sometimes. And you're like, why would you do that? (laughs) That just caused a lot of pain. Uh, But it's nice that, you know, it's at least being identified and flagged for you. So, yeah, so it, it is really important. You know, you do need these kind of, uh, model specific operation so that it can look at model drift. We talked about data drift as well. Uh, you know, data unfortunately does not stay the same and trends can can occur over time, buying behaviors, different patterns happen. You need to make sure that you're monitoring all that. Also, data governance, that's something that's really important. And data, you know, model security as well, model, model monitoring. Not everybody thinks about that up front. And you need to make sure that your models are secure, that you're monitoring your models, that it's, you know, uh, and then governance as well. So people that should have access do and people that don't have access don't. Uh, that's something that's really important. And I think sometimes overlooked for a variety of different reasons, you know, you're just plowing ahead with the project, really excited about it, not thinking about all these security features and who actually has access to what. So it's something really important. And then model discovery, we had talked about a little earlier. If the model's already been built, then why rebuild it? Right. I mean, so (laughs) make sure you know what's out there. Um, depending on how many models you have, I mean, you can start to have a lot uh, very quickly. So it's important that you're understanding what's out there. So these tools are used to help with a variety of different things and very incredibly, increasingly important to have. Now, I want to make a little bit of an iteration on what we just said here, which is that uh, MLOps is, uh, uh, you might think of it in terms of tools, but actually, and, and certainly we were just talking about it. It, it over the last three or four years. It kind of evolved that way. 
But it is starting to definitely seem that model ops and ML ops is not something really you buy. It's something you do. It's just sort of like DevOps. You don't be like, well, we don't have no DevOps. I'm going to buy DevOps. I bought these three tools and now I have DevOps. That doesn't actually give you DevOps. They're just tools. You still have to do the DevOps, right? You still have to do continuous integration and continuous development. You know, even if you buy some of these tools that give you visibility into the model drift and all sort of stuff, you still have to do it, right? And you still have to do it well. And there's a very, um, uh, and we actually kind of mentioned this in our previous podcast. I think I think it's not that controversial at this point to say that ML ops is becoming a requirement when you're doing machine learning model. You know, you have to do ML ops, right? I think the more controversial thing is that you may not necessarily need to buy it. Uh, that is that uh, in terms of tools. And that is that, yes, you may need the tools to help you do those things, but there's a whole lot of uh, specialty ML ops vendors out there. They're kind of, I'm, I'm going to call them one trick ponies, right? It's not in a derogatory way that just, they, they only do that thing. You know, that's a typical startup thing, by the way. Sometimes people like build startups. I'm only going to build a startup that'll remind you when to take your medication. I can't tell you how many startups we've seen that just do will do that one thing? It's actually a little bit of a joke between Kathleen and I, because it's sort of like, how many startups can you start to help you remind you to take your medication? Like, <laughs> it's probably like thousands of them out there. I think so at this point. <laughs> but the, the reason why people keep doing it is because it's, it's not really a product. It's like people don't want to buy something separate. People don't want to do something separate just for that one thing. You know, it should be part of something else. You know, maybe... Google will finally add it to their calendar application. Remind me when to take my medication. Just put a little button there with a little shape like a pill and I'll click it. And yeah, you know, seriously, honestly. And and it's really starting to look like a lot of the ML ops companies are in that feature, not a product, and definitely not a company perspective, which is that yes, you do need ML ops, but we really need that as part of the overall environment for building and managing our models. And we're going to start to see these capabilities as part of our cloud solutions, as part of our you know, ML machine learning platform solutions, you know, and maybe even just in terms of as best practices. It's like you don't necessarily need a tool for this. You just need a best practice for this. You, you, like, you should do it this way. And we should standardize on a way of doing it, you know. Um, and I think that's more controversial. And I'm sure our ML ops people, vendors are going to be sending us email messages and saying, like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, and um, well, I was, was going to say, stay tuned also <laughs> for, our, for our predictions on 2022. So if you have not already subscribed to the AI Today podcast, make sure to subscribe so you can get notified when that episode and all future episodes come out. We will be digging deeper into ML ops and where we predict this space going in 2022. So definitely stay tuned for that. That that those are some of our most fun podcasts to record because we we get to, you know, take a look back at the year and say, okay, where were things? Where were our predictions for 2021 and then look forward to 2022. So, we will definitely be talking about ML ops, digging into that a little bit more where we think it'll be going. So definitely stay tuned for that podcast as well. Um, you know, but hopefully with this podcast, this is our AI failures series podcast, because we want you to understand our listeners. We want you to say, okay, this is how other people have failed. This is what Cognolytica has seen in the market. We've looked at a lot of different, you know, uh, projects, seen a lot of successes, but seen a lot of failures as well. And said, these are the, you know, 10 or so that we've identified as major reasons why AI projects fail. Let's talk about them so that you can learn from that and not make the same mistakes. So in this podcast, we really talked about how, you know, AI project life cycles are continuous. It is not a build it and forget it kind of thing. You know, it's it's not set it and forget it. It's done. Never look back. 
hopefully by now we have, uh, you know, really hammered in on that point so that, yes, there is going to be an initial upfront cost for developing your model, but then you need to look at retraining as well. What does your retraining pipeline look like? How often do you retrain? And all of the different areas that we talked about as well, you know, you're going to have model and data drift, accept that and make sure that you have set yourself up for success so that once it, you do have that drift, you're able to retrain the model for success. So hopefully hopefully we have drilled that in. We do have one more podcast on our AI failure series, and that will be releasing soon. So definitely make sure to subscribe to AI Today podcast so that you're notified of that. You're notified of our 2022 predictions and additional episodes as well. We have a few uh, additional interviews coming up for the end of the year. We've uh, interviewed folks from the uh, NSCAI. We have two podcasts on that. So definitely make sure to subscribe so you get notified on those as well. And as always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes, including links to our other failure series podcasts, because we have, like we said, we've laid out a whole, a whole bunch of them. They're really great podcasts. Dig deep into each reason. You can listen in any order that you like, so you don't need to listen you know, uh, one through 10, but definitely make sure to check it out. And we love to hear from our listeners as well. Many of you have, have reached out. Uh, please continue to do so. You can always email us at info at cognolitica.com. That's I-N-F-O at C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com. We love your feedback on episodes, you know, topics that we have discussed and, uh, you know, questions that you have as well on the AI space. I know that many of our podcast listeners are also Cognolytica subscribers as well. Uh, at Cognolytica, we're an AI-focused research advisory and education firm. So we cover and track about 20,000 vendors in the, in the, you know, AI space, which is a lot of vendors. So um, I know that our listeners also enjoy uh, some of our subscribers are listeners and they enjoy this podcast and some aren't as well. So we appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for listening to our podcasts over the past five years, which is crazy. Uh, as we're coming up on 2022, we definitely want to thank all of you for being listeners and supporting us for as long as you have. With that too, we do love your feedback. Uh, so please make sure to subscribe and also make sure to rate our podcasts. You can rate them on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Rate us, leave a review. We love to read them and, and hear from our listeners. So please do make sure to do that. But with that, um, you know, I wanted to say uh, thanks for listening to this episode. This is one of our AI failure uh, episodes. We have one, one more coming out. So definitely stay tuned for that. And thanks so much for listening. And we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group, and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. 
This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.